This evening, Scripture 5, verses 14 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the home. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Good evening. So this evening, the, the title that I've given this sermon is Light, the Christian Profession. And I really got this idea from a, from a verse that I didn't put in the scripture reading, which is the verse preceding these, which is Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Um, so if we w- you would flip over there real quick. And we'll read that to kind of start things off. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And in the preceding, the next verses are talking about light. But even though this verse talks about salt, uh, it really sparked in my mind that here we're given, and Jesus is talking to his disciples on the Sermon of the Mount, but he's giving them a job. And so it made me think of, of a profession. And in my mind, in the book of Second Peter, verses, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Peter, writing to uh, uh, Christians, reminds them, he stirs them up by way of reminder, and he says that th- these things I'm reminding you, although being established in the truth, um, that, but these things are important that he's reminding him. Really, in the context of Second Peter, it's talking about um, warning against false teachings and so on and so forth. But to me, th- that's kind of the verse that always goes in- into my mind whenever I'm preparing a Bible class or a sermon is most of the time we're, I'm speaking to people who already know the truth, generally speaking, but it's always necessary to be reminded. And in, in the Greek word for stir up in Second Peter chapter 1 is the idea of awaking the mind bringing back to the forefront of our minds. What, are, what, are, what should we be doing? And so today, uh, by way of reminder, I'd like to remind us about what our profession is as Christians, as his disciples, which is to be light. And so really, the verses that were just read, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, here we have Jesus giving us our job. And in, if you would flip over to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14, we'll be given our job description. A little bit more detail talking about light, what it does, what it is. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8, starting in verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, 
Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you life. So we've been given a job. We'll break this passage down a little bit, but we're going to talk about it more uh, here in a a second. Um, We've been given a job description. Verses 8 says, We are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verses 10 says, uh, Something that light does is find out what is acceptable to the Lord. The word finding out there is, is really the idea of testing and examining very scrutinizingly. I don't think that's a word, but we're scrutinizing things and finding out, does this please God? Verses 11, we have no fellowship with darkness, but rather we're to expose them, works of darkness. Verse 13, this is, if anything, this is the job description of what is light. All things that are exposed, and really the, the Greek word there is the idea of rebuked. And, and Wayland did a good job this morning talking about what is, how are we supposed to rebuke some things. All things that are exposed or rebuked are made manifest or are revealed by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. So we have a job. We've been given our job description. And as a way of a, this third point is really an early invitation. Uh, it's not really going to be talked about, although it's, it is extremely relevant in, in our sermon. <clears throat> the third uh, point in what is our profession and, uh, is the idea of we've been given a uniform. If you go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, <clears throat> it says, For as many as you of you, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And that, the word put on is literally the idea of slipping into something, putting on clothing. We, we have put on Christ as a garment, after baptism, of course. And so really this, this is a way to, if there's anyone here who is not a Christian and has not put on Christ, what we're going to talk about today are things that cannot be done until you have entered Christ's body. Until you have put on Christ in baptism, you cannot be a light. This is our uniform. And further on, once we have put on Christ in baptism... We're to build upon that. We're supposed to, in Galatians chapters, uh, no, Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 17, the talks about the armor of God. So these are the characteristics that we build upon, our faith. Um, and then uh, in Romans chapter 13, verse 12, Paul there talks even about the putting on the armor of light. So after we put on Christ in baptism, it doesn't, that's where it begins, and that's where our, our jobs as light begin because now we have our uniform and we can get to work, but we're still supposed to be putting on some things. Romans chapter 7 verse 4, uh, continuing on this, this little invitation that I'm giving now and then I'll give a little one at the end, says that you can't, or it says that teaches that we can't bear fruit to God unless we are in Christ, unless we're in uniform. Ephesians th- chapter 3 verse 21, only those in the church can glorify God. And we know that by 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, we've been baptized by one spirit into one body. And so if we're not in the church, clothed with God, then, then we are not in uniform. And we cannot give glory to God. We cannot bear fruit acceptable to him spiritually. So continuing on this idea, there are two eternal truths from Genesis chapter 1 now, that I want us to really just keep in the back of our minds as we continue to study The first one is the seed principle, which is given in Genesis chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, which is the idea that reproduction is after its own kind. Um, 
seed bears its own self. You, you can't have an apple tree bear oranges, so on and so forth. And we see that idea in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, where he's talking about false teachers, and he says, you will know them by the fruit. A good tree does not produce bad fruit. Bad trees do not produce good fruit. The second eternal principle, and I call it that because it has, since the beginning of time, although it will last until the end of time, because our, our fruit produced on this earth will have eternal ramifications, or they will last forever. The second eternal principle is that of light. You can find this in Genesis chapter 1 as well, verses 3 and 4, when he creates light itself, and then verse 16 and 18 when he, creates the, when he separates the day and the night, the sun and the moon and the stars and what they're used for. But here we have a principle that light is separate from darkness. Light is the substance, darkness is the lack thereof. Light is and darkness is without. And the New Testament passage that would correspond with this would be 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, where it says that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So keep these in the back of our mind when, and we'll talk about this here in a second, that, that once we are able to be the light, we will be able to produce light. And so now that light is separate from darkness, we also must be separate from darkness. And now that we are light, we can actually produce light, because Whatever is not light cannot produce light. So just keep these principles in the back of our mind. Um, only God can produce this light that we're speaking of today. But we can shine as that light if we are connected to him. Once we are made into the entity which can produce light and fruit acceptable unto God, which is that new creation that 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 talks about. So speaking to Christians here, <clears throat> as Christians, we are light in the Lord according to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, and Christ is our uniform. Once Christ is put on, we have access to all spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 3, and having been called by the gospel to the truth, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14, and having obeyed it, we are now able to reproduce fruit after our own kind. And we have the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are things that now we can produce that are acceptable unto God. We've learned them from him. We learn by reading our Bible. And now God is able to accept them because we are now part of his own special people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, like I said, we are new creations. So now that we've been made into something new, before we were darkness, we were in darkness, as Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 says, but now that we've been we put on Christ, we've been made into light, and so now the fruit that we produce should no longer be what we used to be, the dead man, the, the works of our old self, but now in Christ we can produce light. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says, He, God, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of God into the kingdom of the son of his love. Darkness is a power that we need to be rescued from. We, now that we're separated from it, we need to be able to bear fruit to God. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. We uh, talked about earlier, but now we'll read it. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. <clears throat> And lastly, in this part of the kind of invitation, the early invitation, having put on our uniform, now we must appear as lights in the world. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, this is where Paul kind of recounts what the gospel is, what he's been teaching all the churches as he taught them all the same thing. But here he recounts the gospel. He says that Christ died, Christ was buried, and that he rose, all according to scripture, and that that is seen in baptism. We go down into the water, we die, we come up, and we're alive again. But not only that, it doesn't end there. And it says that Christ appeared first to the 12 apostles and then to over 500 at once. So we also, just like this, must also appear after our death, burial, and resurrection and walk in the newness of life. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, also, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. So, wrapping up this early invitation, if you're not a Christian, do you want to be a light and receive the blessings that are associated with it? Do you want to bear fruit unto God? Do you want fellowship and forgiveness of sins? You must be in Christ in order to obtain these spiritual blessings. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. You can also look at uh, 1 John 1, 5, uh, 1 John 1, 5 through 7. If you are in Christ, how well are you doing your job? Are you fulfilling your duty to shine his light through you all the time, everywhere, giving honor, glory, and bearing fruit unto God, the Father, through Jesus Christ? So let's study what, we're our, what is it that we are supposed to be doing as lights. So beginning, I'm going to talk about what, what just the biblical picture of light. What, what is light associated with in the Bible? Firstly, God himself associates light, or he... God associates light with himself, I'd rather say it that way. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 again, God is light, in him is no darkness at all. Next, the word of God. Psalms 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Uh, also, truth. Light is associated with truth. Psalm 43, verse 3, and let's read that actually. Psalm, uh, Psalm 43, verse 3, which says, O oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Next, we have clarity and understanding. Proverbs 4, verse 18 says, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. That shines brighter and brighter until the full day. You can also, a sister passage with that would be 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Here we have the idea of the more knowledge that we gain by the word, which has already been associated with light, the more understanding we have and the brighter that light gets within us. So the more we know about God, the brighter that light becomes. <clears throat> Clarity, understanding, we understand more about God now. Psalm 19, 119, verse 130 says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Next, what, associate, what is associated with light is Christ himself. And Christ would do this in John chapter 8, verse 12, where he would say, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Also in John chapter 9, verse 5, he again says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Lastly, what is associated with light is is if you, if you have in your Bible, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9, we read it earlier. If you're using the ESV, the ASV, or the New American Standard Bible, 
um, you'll have there this, uh, the fruit of light. If you're using the King James or the New King James, it'll say the fruit of the Spirit. Either way is true. I, they're using different manuscripts. But in the NASB, ESV, and ASV, it says, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And I believe that to be a little bit more accurate considering the context of Ephesians chapter 5, which is talking about light. Um, so, the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. These are three traits of light. So, contrary to that, what is associated with darkness in the Bible? We have a, we have a picture of what light is. What is darkness? What is the opposite of this? Number one, we have confusion and delusion. We read earlier Proverbs 4, uh, verses 18. Now we'll read that along with Proverbs 4, 19 to kind of get the contrasting picture here. So Proverbs 4, 18 and 19. Together they say, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. So there we can see there's ignorance. They're stumbling. They don't know what it is. They, they don't have the knowledge to discern. Um, next we have James chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, which is really the idea. We're not going to read it, but if you read that, it's wisdom from below. It contrasts wisdom from above, which is from God, wisdom from below, which is earthly, sensual, demonic. And it says there, all these things are in, in, the, in all these things are confusion. And you hop over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. God is not the author of confusion. So God is not the author of, of all this evil, of all these evil things. Wisdom is from below. Wisdom from below is full of confusion. And God is not its author. Secondly, what is associated with darkness? Walking opposed to God, the, the general idea of walking opposed to him, which is sin or evil. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Also, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, paints a pretty good picture of how we were before Gentiles, how we were before we came into Christ and the works of darkness, and then contrasts it that you have not so learned in Christ. You have not learned these things in Christ. These are not of Christ, of God. Also, Romans chapter 1, verse 21, which says, because although, in speaking about Gentiles, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the, really the, just the idea of ignoring who God is. We live in a world created by God, but yet we don't listen to the creator. Therefore, when things happen and we don't understand why, as Proverbs chapter 4, verse 19 would say, it would only make sense. We're going to be confused. Why do I live a life full of sin and I have repercussions? And I just keep having more and more problems. <clears throat> also, we could look again at John chapter 8, verse 12, which is, again, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not, shall not walk, in, walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So there, Christ himself contrasts light with darkness. So now that we've spoken about what is light and what is darkness, let's talk about the duty of light. There are three main points that I want to bring out about what is the job of light. Number one, it's ult ultimately the job of light is to bring glory to God. Everything we do should bring glory to God. That's point number one. Point number two, research and development. We'll get to that in a little bit. Point number three, reveal the truth. That's, that's going to be the meat of the lesson right there. But going back to point number one, bring God glory. Matthew ch uh, chapter 5, verse 16 says, Let your light so shine before men 
that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Also, 2 Timothy chapter 3, chapter 3 verse 16. It is not our glory to take. Uh, speaking about uh, the things that we do. Why, 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 when I do good things, do I not get glory? Well, if I'm just doing what God told me, according to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed. So if I'm just following someone else's commandment, when I am blessed because of the things that I do, the glory does not go to me, but rather he who I'm following, who I'm in, um, obeying. Luke chapter 17, verse 10 says, So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. That's the mindset that we ought to have in obeying our God. These are the, the goodness that comes from me, the good works that I do, any good thought, whatever is good that comes from me, I do not get the credit for these things. The, the old self, the, the carnal-minded Scott, the one who died and is supposed to be dead and buried, when, when I don't act like a, like a heathen, I do not get to take the credit for it because I'm not, I'm not listening. I did not save myself. I'm obeying God and his instruction, and that, that made me different. That made me better. Therefore, God is the one who gets the glory, not me. <clears throat> we have done, uh, sorry, we glorify God in everything we do in our manner of living, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, both with our body and spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, in suffering, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, and in our liberal giving, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. Moving on to our second duty, which is research and development. And the idea here is that we search, we research just like Ephesians chapter 9 or chapter 5, verses 10 uh, says, we research what does God want us to do. And then after we have researched, we apply them. We develop ourselves to do those things. And something that I, I personally struggle with sometimes when I read, when I'm reading or studying my Bible, is I like to research in order to refute error. So I'll come, I'll come across a passage that'll say something about, I don't know, maybe it's something that Baptists like to use. And I'll just keep in mind, oh yeah, that'll be really good at proving against the Baptists. But although that is good and we're supposed to defend the faith, also when we, when we study and when we read our Bible, it's not for the only purpose of refuting error, but to develop ourselves. So in Deuteronomy chapter 29, 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So we ought to know what expectations have been put on us. And once again in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10, which says that we're supposed to be examining what is pleasing to God. If you go to verse 17 in that same chapter, it says that, Therefore, understand what the will of the Lord is. And that's in, in the imperative. We're commanded to do, though, do so. Therefore, it's possible. It's, it's possible to understand what God wants from us. Um, and so we need to be diligent about doing it, which is what 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says. Study to show yourself approved. It takes diligence in order to be approved before God. And it is shameful to be unapproved because we can be approved unto God. We, we can know what we ought to be doing. Now on to the development part. So we've researched what it is that God would have us to do. We, we are diligent in continuing our education. Um, now are we, we need to be applying these things to, to ourselves. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, 
says, and be, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transform there in the Greek is metamorpho, which is basically where we get the word metamorphosis, which is when a butterfly goes in there, turns to liquid somehow, and then, or a caterpillar, I guess, come, goes in there, turns to liquid, and then becomes a butterfly. That's, that's exactly what we're supposed to do when, as we become a Christian. So we go down into the water, we die. We're, we're dead. The old self is dead. We come up, and this is spiritually speaking, of course. We come up, and we're a new creation. We've come up as something better, something holy, something righteous. Um, we're not to be conformed to all the other things that are around us in this world. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 9 here. These are the Christian graces. This is where it says, add to your faith virtue. Uh, Add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control, so on and so forth. These are things that we, we should do. And if you look at the end of it, it says, so that we may never be unfruitful. These are things that we have to keep building upon so that we can continue to bear fruit acceptable to God. We're never, there's never a point where I've reached max Christianity, where I've perfected myself. If you look at Philippians chapter 3, Paul would, uh, Paul would say, not that I've already attained, but I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ. We always are marching forward to, to improve ourselves. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through 4. Development is not optional. Here, the Hebrews writer would tell, tell these people, by this time you ought to be, have been teachers, yet I'm still having to teach you the first principles, of, first principles of God. So there is a point where we need to... And, and it's different for everyone, but there is a point where we need to be able to teach rather than having it boiled down to a, to a liquid level for us because we're just not really striving that hard to understand more. And our third point on the duty of light is reveal the truth. Reveal the truth. First Thessalonians 5.14 is going to be the gist of what we're going to talk about here. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. There are four things, really, that are, that are involved in revealing the truth. This is a broad-sweeping subject here. There are many verses that I wanted to use, but for time's sake, we can't. But the, fourth, the four ways that we reveal truth, number one is we reach the faithless. Number two we renew the fallen. Number three, we reinforce the faithful. And number four, we rebuke the falsehoods. I thought that was very preachery of me to have R's and F's and all of those. That was pretty good. I was impressed. Um, anyhow, <laughs> uh, number one, reach the faithless. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord does not one. <clears throat> the Lord does not want any. Oh my goodness! <clears throat> the Lord does not want anyone to perish. <clears throat> therefore, we have the idea of evangelism. Go therefore, make disciples of all. Right, uh, Matthew chapter twenty-eight, the great uh, commandment. Uh, evangelism is spreading the gospel by word and by example. The light that we should, the light that we preach, should be evident in us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 16, which was read in our hearing. We cannot lose our purpose. Like it says, for the salt, if it loses its savor, it's, it's to be thrown on the ground and be trampled upon by men. We cannot lose our purpose or we're worthless. And then now we know that we're lights. Therefore, if a light does not shine, we throw it in the garbage. 
We do not want to be that. If you would, please flip in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26. <clears throat> we'll read this. I'm a slow turner. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26, which says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps would grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So really, uh, our, the idea of evangelizing to people who do not know God is to get them out of the snare of the devil. And just like Colossians 1 verse 13, God has rescued us from the power of darkness and has conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his dear love. We're trying to do the same thing, and, but we don't take the glory when it happens. All glory goes to God when, when a sinner repents. Point number two is renew the fallen. And the idea here, a little bit twofold, the fallen can be those who, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, those who are Christians and have gone, I mean, insane, have gone astray. They have to be withdrawn fellowship from. That is one of the fallen. The other fallen is just really like, like uh, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, I believe. A righteous man falls down and he gets back up. Sometimes we slip and fall and we can get right back up. Sometimes people fall and they like to stay on the ground and rither around in the dirt. Our job is to renew the fallen, to reveal to our lost brothers and sisters that they are in sin and that, the one who is not and that they are one who is not walking in the light. And they can by no means have fellowship with our Lord, according to first, first John 1. And therefore, can have no fellowship with us, unless it's in the spirit of restoration. And we see that in Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, also John 1, 7, 1 Corinthians 5, which we talked a little bit about, where, where Paul would say that he's delivered such, a, delivered such a one to Satan. That's the one who would not repent from his sin. Um, James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, if you would go there with me. This is more the idea, and this could be applied to both too, but this is our duty. Summarize right here. Uh, the last verse in James. James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. Brethren, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, so he's speaking to brothers and sisters in Christ, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So renew the fallen. Point number three or, or third way that we reveal truth is to reinforce the faithful. That is to reveal to our brothers and sisters in Christ who are striving to walk in the light what great things that have been revealed to us through the word of God. If you'll go in your Bible to Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, this is a very encouraging passage, the last book of the, New Test or the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. This is a little encouraging when you read it and you think about whenever I'm talking to someone else about God, how does God think about that? It says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before them for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. 
This is something that we ought to be encouraged when I'm talking to my brother or my sister or my spouse or family member, whoever, someone in Christ. I'm talking to them and I'm encouraging them and they're encouraging me. We're iron sharpening iron. God, God takes notice of these things and he writes a book of remembrance. This ought to be encouraging for us. Um, you can also look at Jude chapter 20, verse 21, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. These are just verses encouraging us to to sharpen each other, to talk with each other, to encourage each other. We're in the faith. This is a hard thing we're doing. It's, it's not easy always being alive. It's not easy to walk in a world filled with temptations. But when I'm around my brothers and sisters, it ought to be the most encouraging time of the day. And it is, and it should be, because we're talking about God. We're talking about, man, I really messed up this week. I did X, Y, and Z. Or, man, I was really proud of myself this week. I didn't do X, Y, and Z, which is a you know, problem I have or whatever. These are things that we ought to continue to do. This, this is a revelation. We're revealing to ourselves our weaknesses, our strength. We're confessing our trespasses. But we're revealing God's goodness and how his, how his church op should operate. <clears throat> Number four, rebuke the falsehoods. And this is kind of a big one. If you'll flip in your Bible, we read it earlier, but we're, we're going to read it again. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 and 13. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 and 13 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. That is to reprove them, to rebuke them, to correct them. <clears throat> it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Um, for whatever makes manifest is light. So here we have, um, in verse 11, if we're not to be able to have fellowship with darkness, God has, God, in God there is no darkness. We're going to stand on one side of light or dark. There's no uh, sh shadow in the spiritual realm. There's no, well, it's not complete darkness, but it's not also in the light. There's none of that. It's, there is everything we do. There is, I'm either walking according to God or I'm not. And there is realm of I'm not saying that there's no Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, the realm of opinion, but as far as what we are commanded to do, what is right, what is wrong, are we following God or are we following ourself? There is, there is something that is directly opposed to God. Are we standing with it or are we standing opposed to it? Or are we a middleman that's kind of like uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 32, we approve of these things. We don't say, you know, I wouldn't do it, but, you know, you're, you're free to do that. You know, that's not the attitude we should have. Uh, moving on. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 15, kind of sound the same idea, Jesus here said that he hates the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which were, who were in, some of them were at least in the church at Pergamos. So Jesus himself hates some doctrines. And now the point we're, that we're on is rebuke falsehoods. What light does is make manifest or, or reveals or rebukes, it, it brings to light, it corrects those who are in darkness. That is our main job as light. That is what light does spiritually speaking. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, here we have an example where Paul stood opposed to Peter because Peter stood opposed to the will of God. Peter was showing partiality to the Jews rather to the Gentiles, even though he was there when the Gentiles were first introduced or entered into the church miraculously. So you would think of all people, Peter would, Peter would be accepting of the Gentiles. But still, Peter was showing partiality. He, when he was sitting, hanging out with the Gentiles, but as soon as the Jews came in, he kind of 
left there and went to the cool kids table, I guess. But there, Paul rightfully so rebuked him because he, Peter, was standing opposed to the will of God. And so we should do the same thing. Now it's a little awkward at times, should be, but it's what we're supposed to do. We don't, we don't sit idly by while something wrong is taking place. So some examples, in, in, at least in my recent memory of, of some things that have been said among the churches of Christ that are wrong and need to be stood against. And some of these are praying to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the renovated earth or the new heaven and new earth theory, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the consumption of alcohol. These are all false teachings that need to be marked and rebuked. Uh, we have an example here in Jude, verses 3 and 4, which says to contend earnestly for the faith. Why? Why do we contend earnestly for the faith? Because for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God, our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So we need, to be we need to be staunchly opposed to falsehood. That is our main job as light. Galatians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, finally on this point, which says, yet not even Titus, and this is kind of, it's, it's right before it talks about Peter, but now, that, now we're in the context of the Jews were pressuring Paul and Titus to, or Paul was already circumcised, but they were uh, pressuring Titus to be circumcised. Um, and so <clears throat> Galatians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, says, yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. And this is the key verse right here. To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Not even for a second, for a moment's notice, for a blink of an eye, do we yield submission to false, falsehoods of any kind. If, and if we don't know, we find the truth. We search the scripture diligently. <laughs> there should never be a time where we're okay not knowing if I'm, what I'm doing is right. And when we know that something is being said or done that's wrong in, in whatever wise, tactful way that we determine, we need to be able to stand up and proclaim truth. So once again, just going over a little recap of revealing the truth, our four jobs here. Reach the faithless, renew the fallen, reinforce the faithful, and rebuke the falsehoods. So lastly, in our, in our study here, what does it take to make good light? Now that we know what is light, uh, some things that we need to do, what, what can we do to really make sure that we're as well prepared to be that light as we can be? So there are five things here. Let me make sure there's five. Yep, there's five. Five things here. Love. Love is number one. Number two is knowledge, wisdom, boldness, and finally humility. So number one, going on love. Love is the why. Love is why I want to be a light. I have love for God and for man. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, which is the greatest commandment, says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, which is a song that we sang earlier today. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. Our manner of living will reflect our love for our creator and his creation. Do we love man? 
Do we love God? If we do, we will want to do what's right. A heart that loves the Father is a heart that seeks to please the Father. John chapter 14, verse 31 says, and this is, uh, talk, this is Jesus, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commands me. You can't get more plain than that. John chapter 8, verse 29, Christ again says, for I always do those things that please him. That, Christ is a perfect example of someone who loves God and loves man, and all he ever did was follow the commandments of God and do those things which please him. Why can't we do the same thing? So how is our love towards God? Is it, it's, is it evident in our lifestyle and how we view and treat others? Well, it is, but it should be. It should be evident. When I love God, I love my fellow man. You look at James chapter 3, where it talks about the tongue is a restless evil, full of poison, uh, set, on, set on fire by hell. Um, there it says we bless God with it, and we also curse man. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. When we have a genuine love for God, we have a genuine love for his people and their soul. And therefore, we shine as light, because that's, that's exactly what we're supposed to do to bring others to God. Point number two, knowledge. This is the what. Now that we have a why, well, okay, I want to please God. I want to do what's right. I want to be a light. What, it, what is light? You know, this is where you would study light. What, what is it that I'm supposed to do? Well, this is going back to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 10 and 17, talking about, I search those things diligently that what pleases God. I, I under, do I understand the will of God? I, we have to be diligent to find, to find out those things that please him. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, once again, be diligent. Um, search the scriptures, right? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4, there Paul would say, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So we get knowledge by reading. Um, Titus 1, 1 is actually an interesting one. If you would flip your Bibles over there real quickly. Titus 1, 1, it's a little, just introduction to the book. You would think nothing of it. But if you look at the tail end of it, <clears throat> the tail end of it says, according to the faith of God's elect, and the, if you're reading, I'm reading in the New King James, it says, and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. Now, at least to me, when you read that, the way it's translated, it just sounds like, oh, acknowledge. When I acknowledge something, you know, I acknowledge that this carpet is green, and there's not much above that. I just see it, I know it's green. In the Greek, the word is epi, epi no, the Greek word, I'm not going to pronounce right, epinosis. Right? The, in the Greek, gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, is the word for knowledge. Epi, the preposition, means above or higher than or over. So it's an over-knowledge. It's a higher knowledge. The word that's translated as acknowledge really should be translated as a precise knowledge, a correct knowledge, a full knowledge. This is an, a 100% accurate knowledge. Not something that you just acknowledge, but a precise knowledge. So if you read it in that term, <clears throat> the precise knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. A precise knowledge goes hand in hand with godliness. These are things that, th this is what we strive for. We strive for that precise, perfect knowledge which accords, it goes hand in hand with knowledge, or with godliness. So once again, just knowledge, the idea of finding out what things we need to do. And it does take knowledge to be godly. Number three, wisdom. So we talked about the why, we talked about the what. And I guess this is the when, where, and how. Wisdom. Uh, when, where, and how to do what you've learned. Wisdom is being able to apply knowledge practically. 
Without wisdom, knowledge is useless. It just sits there doing nothing. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14 says, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That is, those who by practice have exercised their mind to be able to judge good and evil. It does take practice, and that practice comes from a knowledge. I learn, hey, that doesn't look so good. Uh, let me get in there and do something. You go in there, you practice it, you say, okay, that didn't go so well. Next time, let me, let me hit the books again. Let me find out what I can do better. What, what can I do better to evangelize? What can I do better to approach someone who's in sin? So on and so forth. It takes practice to do these things well. Uh, you build on yourself, tact and skill and so forth. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. This is, so we read Ephesians 5, 8 through 14. This is really the tail end of that context about being a light. And I think it's really important. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 15 and 16. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. That word then is pretty important because if you look at it in the Greek, it's, the, it's really the word therefore. Therefore, because of the things that I just said about that you are the light, and a light has a job, therefore, walk circumspectly. Walk, which is how wise people walk. Because you are the light, you have a way that you, that you need to be walking. Moving on to point number four, boldness. This one's a meaty one, but I don't think we have enough time to go in, into full depth, so I'm just going to kind of read some verses here. But the idea of boldness, the courage to actually do it. We know what we're supposed to do. We know how to do it. We know why we're doing it but we still have to go out and do it. The courage to actually do it. The symptom of a weak faith in God is not carrying out what we know his will to be. We need to become more firm in our faith that we are victorious in Christ through the power of God and not of ourselves. We need to build up our faith so that we have more fear of God than we do of man. And firstly, why is this kind of relevant in this discussion? I think we all know this already, but still good to be reminded John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19 says, and this is Christ speaking, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Consider this also with James chapter 4 and verse 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And if that is true, then also making yourself a friend of God makes you an enemy of the world. And so you're going to have to, like I said earlier, you're going to have to pick a side. Either way is going to be awkward. If you, if you choose friendship with God, an enemy of the world is going to be awkward while you're here on earth. But it's going to be a lot more awkward if you choose to be a friend with the world. And then for eternity, you're an enemy of God. It's a little bit more awkward. So there will always be animosity between those who follow God versus those who follow the princes and power of the air. According to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2. So really quickly, I just want to give us some verses that should encourage our boldness, some verses that should encourage us to be bold. 1 John 4, verse 4 says, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Ephesians 3, verses 10 through, uh, 10 through 12, is the idea of uh, here, understanding what was accomplished by our Lord allows us to be bold and confident. Philippians chapter 1, verses 14 Paul's chains in Christ emboldened the brotherhood, which is a little weird, but he would say, 
Let, don't let this d- deter you. Rather, let this embolden you that I'm, I'm doing this for you. Also in Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, which says, According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing shall I be put to shame, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is game, and to die is gain. We should be able to say the same, and I hope that we can, and we can. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 to 39, don't cast away your boldness, but endure so that we can receive the promise. Matthew chapter 10, verses 28 says, fear those, fear not those who kill the body, but him who is able to kill both uh, soul and body in hell, which is God. Continuing on these, this idea of, uh, we have the we, these verses were about boldness. Now it's kind of the idea of fear. We're going to either fear man or well, we're going to fear man and God, but our fear of God should be higher than our fear of man. So Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verses nine through 11 talks about where uh, uh, it teaches us that we that we should understand the judgment to come at the on the last day. Therefore, we persuade men out of the fear of God, knowing they, too, will be judged whether they know it or not. So our godly fear comes from knowledge, which, which leads us to action, which is to persuade men, which is to evangelize. Revelation 21.8 says the cowardly have their part in the lake of fire. This includes those who were too scared to accept the gospel in the first place, and also those who accepted it but were too scared to live faithfully unto death. Roman, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. In John chapter 12, verses 40, 42 and 43 it says there that the Pharisees loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So fear caused their belief to be irrelevant in their actions. They knew what was right, but because they were more afraid of man than God, they didn't let it affect their decision-making or their actions. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, Noah, having great faith, was moved to action with godly fear. The world around him was probably telling him he was an idiot for building a giant boat, Yet he had more fear of God than man. Therefore, he built the boat and saved his household and man. Lastly, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. There we have an imperative to accomplish our salvation. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, the idea there with a fear and, and, and trembling is reverence and awe mixed with terror. Um, so I, these verses are really just encouraging us to that we really, according to Revelation, we already have overcome the world. We just need to remember that until death. Um, lastly, our last point here is humility. The maturity to, to understand why we're doing it. And to be able to direct all praise and glory to whom they are due. We need to remove anything that impedes truth from being shown in us. So really the idea here is if, if we're a light bulb and there's a, there's a 2,000 watt light going off inside of us, which is pretty bright, but we, we're painted black. No light's gonna escape that, right? We need to, we need to clean, cleanse the inside before the light can come out and shine through us. We need to be hum, uh, humble. Matthew chapter six, verses one through four says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret himself will reward you openly. 
James chapter 3, verses 13 and 15. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct, that is good moral living, that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Don't be the reason that God's light can't shine in you and through you. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if not humbly accepted, that knowledge will benefit nobody. James chapter 1, verse 21, we need to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our soul. So as a way of concluding these thoughts, this study, I guess the latter half of our invitation that was started earlier, we as God's holy people need to always keep in the forefront of our minds what our profession is, what is our main duty on earth, which is being the light of the world. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, um, I'm going to read that because that's, that's how we started it and that's how we're going to end this thing. By way of reminder, this is what Peter tried to do to the church there who were established in the truth. I believe that we are established in present truth, but it's always good to be reminded of what our, what our duty is. Starting in verse 12, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding, to, by reminding you. So to awaken the mind, to bring what was in the back Asleep, bring it to the forward. Uh, awake. That's, this is what is on the forefront of our mind. So we are the light of the world. Let's not lose our purpose. Let's remember who we serve. Let's remember the gravity of our duty on this earth. And also the joy that should come uh, while doing it. The light that shines in us today will linger for an eternity. I'm going to end with two verses, and then we'll, I'll offer the invitation. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is really, I really wanted to talk about this verse a lot, but I think it would be profound just to end on it. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That word proclaim there, that's, that's the word that I'm going to focus on. That word is literally the idea of celebrating or publishing, to make known by praising it, literally in the Greek. We are to live a life that is evident that we are celebrating God for delivering us out of the power of darkness and putting us into, the, into his marvelous light, into his church, according to Colossians 1.13. That is what we should be doing. It should be evident. <clears throat> and lastly, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. While we're doing this, it should be clear that we have a smile on our face, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Um, I hope this study was beneficial to you. It was beneficial to me. This was something that it was encouraging to study this, um, to know that we do have a job that is, is clearly portrayed in the Bible, what, what it is that we're supposed to be doing. Um, and once I kind of want to do this because <laughs> I know that was a lot. Um, I hope that made sense to you. I know I'm a little scatterbrained sometimes, but I want to go back as a way of summary the duty of light. What is the duty of light? Ultimately, to bring glory to God, we're supposed to research and develop and also reveal the truth in four different ways. By reaching the faithless, renew the fallen, reinforce the faithful, and rebuke falsehoods. And then lastly, the five things that it takes to be, to be a good light. 
That's love, knowledge, wisdom, boldness, which is very important, and finally, humility. So I hope these things were um, beneficial to you. I hope that these will help you to remind you throughout the week, throughout your day, every, every decision that you make, that, that we are a light. We are the light of God. If, if, if we're not going to do it, who else will? And so it's a pretty, pretty important task. I hope that we would take, uh, take pride in doing it and that God would be glorified in our actions. Uh, if there's anyone here today that, that is a Christian and maybe you haven't been fulfilling your duty as light, maybe you've been struggling. I mean, I know it's hard. We live in a world, a physical world, and our, job, our main job is spiritual. So you don't see the spiritual light on a literal level. Um, day by day. I mean, it's, it's a little bit easier when we come on Wednesday and Sunday, but if you're a Christian, if you've been struggling to be that light, to remind yourself that what is my main goal here on earth, which is to bring God glory in various number of ways, perhaps you need to come forth in prayer or maybe repentance. And if you're not in Christ, please know that, that the wonderful things that we were saying today, that according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, all spiritual blessings are in Christ. You cannot have these things without Christ. And that is a very severe thing to know. And please don't leave here not knowing how to get into Christ, which is through baptism. So if there's anyone here who needs prayers, would you let it know, be known as together we stand and sing this song?